All right. I, uh, I came across a, a sad story this week, and um, this kind of thing up, upsets me. In the midst of, of all the publicity, in the midst of all the, the suffering, in the midst of all the, the fear about the coronavirus, uh, a preacher in, in New Zealand of a large, large church uh, made, made this statement. Um, God allows epidemics, pestilence, and famine when people have departed from faith in him. But for Bible-believing, born-again Christians who pay their tithes, God assures them protection from the virus in Psalm 91. Uh, you can turn there and look at Psalm 91 if you want. Uh, but, uh, and it is a wonderful psalm of God's protection, okay? of God's providential care uh, for his people. So, uh, I mean, don't, uh, it, it's a psalm of, of wonderful praise. And so we, we do need to acknowledge that passage of Scripture. But there are two big problems in this, um, in this statement. Uh, the first is that he announces that the virus is punishment from God, as though he knows God's mind. Okay? Uh, I think whenever we see disasters, whether they be um, earthquakes or, or floods or whatever it might be, um, or viruses, it seems there's always a Christian preacher somewhere ready to jump up and proclaim it as God's judgment or as the end of the world. And I don't think that does, uh, firstly, because we don't know God's mind, we don't know God's timetable, and it really harms God's reputation more than it, it, it helps anything. And the second is that he promises protection, right, for Bible-believing, born-again, tithe-paying Christians. Now, I believe the Bible, I'm born again, I pay a tithe, but I'm not using Psalm 91 to protect me from this virus or any other I certainly believe that God is able to protect and heal people. And uh, I hope that, that you do also. I pray like that all the time, right? We pray like that all the time here at Lawson Road. God, protect. God, heal. Most of our prayer cards at the end of each service, and nothing wrong with this, most of our prayer cards are for health, whether it's ours or someone else's, whether it's a virus or a cancer or something else. But I also know that most of the time, viruses, cancer, tornadoes, whatever it might be, behaves like a virus, a, a cancer, or a tornado is supposed to um, behave. Regardless, you know, we do pray. And we see exceptions to that. That's why we keep praying, because God does intervene. And we, we can witness, uh, bear witness to that. But deciding when and who is, is something that is beyond our explanation. And so I love that in the same article that I found this particular story, it closed by interviewing a, a minister from another church in town, and uh, the minister made this observation, uh, pointed out that the, the devil used this very same psalm to tempt Jesus. He said, prove, uh, said to Jesus, prove that you are the Son of God. Jump off the highest point of the temple. And, and Psalm 91 says that God's angels will catch you. They'll make sure that your foot doesn't stumble, doesn't hurt. And so uh, Jesus could have used Psalm 91 as an omen of protection, not just against the virus, but against the, the devil himself, against anything, against gravity. 
and uh, Jesus recognized it for what it was as temptation and uh, rejected that. And so if we were to go back a few weeks in Mark chapter 7, as this sermon series works its way through the book of Mark, would find Jesus criticizing the Pharisees for allowing people to avoid the financial burden of caring for their parents if they just put their money basically in a trust account dedicated to God or to the temple. So if you do that, you set the money aside, put it in a trust account, it's going to go to to God, then you're, you're free from this particular obligation that you want to avoid. And I think this is some of the problem that we see with this kind of statement, when we, particularly when we throw tithe paying into, into that um, list of, of things that, that make somebody a faithful follower of Jesus. And so then when we come to, that's in chapter 7, when we come to chapter 10, we find the account of the rich man who chooses his wealth rather than following Jesus. And it seems to me that Jesus would be equally critical of someone claiming that paying tithes would somehow protect people from a virus. Instead, we do have a story today that takes place, a story of healing that takes place just outside Jerusalem, just before Palm Sunday. And so two weeks ago, this is, this is hard to see up there, and, and I'm sorry, but you can kind of see the colors. But uh, two weeks ago, in chapter 8, uh, we saw the Apostle Peter announce Jesus as the Messiah. Okay, that's the yellow one there. First, Jesus heals a blind man. Um, Peter announces that Jesus is the Messiah. Immediately, Jesus predicts his death. And then the red is that Peter rebukes Jesus. It's red. You can't see it, but it's red because it's not a good thing. Danger, right? Red for danger. Then we, have, we move into Mark 9. We have the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus predicts his death a second time. Move into Mark 10. Jesus predicts his death a third time. And we come to more danger as the apostles uh, request a throne from Jesus. Um, and then Jesus heals another blind man and we move into Palm Sunday. And so this is kind of the sequence, a section of Scripture uh, bookended by these two healings of, uh, of blind men. Um, and so at the end of chapter 10, Jesus journey, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem that he began with with Peter's confession of him being the Messiah back in chapter 8. His journey is almost complete. The healing of Bartimaeus in many ways reflects the, represents the final act of Jesus' general ministry. Okay? Um, Sure, there's more teaching, there's more action to come in the last week of Jesus' life. We're only up to chapter 10 out of 16, so obviously there's more to come. But once Jesus enters Jerusalem, his focus is firmly on the cross. His focus, and, and the story Mark, that Mark tells is about the cross and, and leading to the cross and to the, the resurrection. And so the story of Bartimaeus is a great climax to Jesus' general ministry. And the way Mark tells the story in his gospel, Bartimaeus provides a righteous example 
to people who should have known better. Now, I hope you're, you're able to, to follow me this morning. You're going to need to concentrate or not. You know, it's up to you. But um, there's a lot, a lot going on here. Uh, so, so if you lose track, just come and whack me on the side of the head later. And uh, we'll see if we can sort it out. But we're going to stay mostly in chapter 10. Uh, if, you, if you have your Bible there, it might be helpful. Uh, of the Gospel of Mark. Our growth groups, when we get, are going to go over the same material, they'll go back further, all the way to chapter 8, uh, but we're going to stay in chapter 10 today. So remember, back at uh, how earlier Peter had rebuked Jesus. That was the wrong thing to do. Okay, well, I think we can all agree on that. Don't rebuke Jesus. Just a general rule of life. You know? Don't rebuke Jesus. Um, then, though, when we come to chapter 10 and verse 13, we find rebuking again. It's probably not a word that we use all that often. I had a, a friend, a church I was in, he decided to see you know, how this would go over. He was upset. He ran his own small business, and he was upset. I think it was with a, a supplier. And he said, I rebuke you for that. And the guy was sort of like, that's just strange. You know, like, what do you mean? Like, he didn't like it. It's not a word that we use. Maybe we use it more as a descriptor than, than something that we speak. But we see the people are bringing little children to Jesus. And Jesus, and, and, and the disciples rebuke them. The disciples rebuke. So Peter has rebuked Jesus. Now the disciples rebuke the children. And then in chapter so that's in verse 13, chapter 10, verse 13, at the start of the chapter. Come down to the story of Bartimaeus, and we see that many people rebuke Bartimaeus. We just had this, the whole story of Bartimaeus read, so I'm not going to read the whole story again. But as he's laying there, calling out to Jesus, the crowd rebuke him. So we see these same words being used. And Jesus' followers here, so just as the disciple Peter got it wrong earlier when he rebuked Jesus, the disciples get it wrong when they rebuke those bringing the children. The crowd gets it wrong when they rebuke Bartimaeus. Jesus responds when he saw the, the disciples keeping the children away. He was indignant. Again, you don't want to be on the receiving end of that. Earlier when Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now he's indignant towards the disciples. Let the little children come to me. And in Bartimaeus, Jesus stops and said, call him, call him. Uh, completely the opposite of what the crowd was saying and what the crowd expected. So that's the first contrast between the story of Bartimaeus and this little uh, narrative there about the children uh, coming to Jesus. The second contrast, begins in verse 17. And here we have another story about the, the, the man we come to call the rich young ruler, which becomes obvious as we, we move through the story. But this, this man runs to Jesus. And, and, and you see the action, that Mark is a book of action. The, 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 this man doesn't just you know, amble up to Jesus. Okay? He doesn't sidle up to Jesus. He runs up to Jesus. And he, he says to Jesus, and I, I wonder if he's out of breath as he says it. I don't know how far he's run. You know, good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. He has everything. He's rich. He does everything he should do. He can confidently say that he is blameless regarding the law. And Jesus, we're told, loves him. Seems like ever sounds like a Disney story, right? Everything's just the way it's supposed to be. Meanwhile, as we skip down to the story of Bartimaeus, we see a contrast. Although he is equally as excited, he jumps to his feet. Um, he, he's throwing his cloak aside. Now, the cloak is probably not there so much for warmth uh, as it is for uh, laying out and people dropping their coins on the cloak. Uh, that would be his, the way of collecting the money. He was not only blind, he was, he was a beggar. And so uh, he, he then throws his cloak aside, he jumps to his feet, and he comes to Jesus asking for his sight to be restored. Now, we know what happens next. We know what Jesus does. We know how Bartimaeus' story, at least this part of it, ends. And maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal to you and to me. But imagine walking up to someone that you've only heard stories about. And in front of a large group of people, asking them to solve your biggest problem. Right there, right then. Kind of sounds like magic. Right? It's going to take magic to solve my biggest problem, and I'm not sure I believe in magic. Okay. Um, you'd have to be desperate to do that, wouldn't you? If, if I told you that, that this person can, can do that, and you believed me, you'd have to be desperate. How much would you need to believe that a person could help you For you to stand in front of a large crowd, make a spectacle of yourself in public and ask for something impossible. And Jesus, but but that's the eagerness, that's the excitement that the blind man brings to Jesus as he says, Rabbi, I want to see. I find it interesting through here how they address him in terms of the comparison the, the young man at the top says, good teacher. And uh, the blind man says, my rabbi. Similar ideas. Like there's just a lot of similarities here, even in the words that they use. And so as we go back to uh, the first part of the chapter there, we see that despite the young man having everything that he needs, being blameless in respect to the law, being loved by Jesus, He's unwilling to give up his wealth and he goes away sad. He loved his money more. In contrast, Bartimaeus had already thrown away his money. Whatever change he'd received that day, he threw his cloak, jumped up, ran to Jesus. And when Jesus heals him, he follows Jesus along the road. We know that road leads to Jerusalem. We know that that this section 
going back to chapter 8, this section begins with Jesus not only predicting his death, but saying, take up your cross and follow me. And Bartimaeus chooses to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. But there's one more comparison, one more contrast. After Jesus predicts his death a third time, the brothers James and John approach Jesus and they ask him, or he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And and I love that question. How often is it that we come to Jesus? We just say, oh, Jesus, I don't want to bother you. Jesus, I know I was here yesterday. Jesus, I know I was here not long ago. I know I've asked this before. I know you've heard this before. Jesus, you must be sick of seeing me. And James and John have been hanging out with Jesus for three years, pretty much every day from what we can gather. And they come to him and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What's that uh, TV? There's a TV show in a hospital and the guy's always asking people whenever he gets with them, how can I help you? How can I help you? Anyone else watch that? No? I forget the name. It's not in my notes. But Jesus, that guy's like Jesus. Okay? Because when, he, when Jesus interacts with people, whatever we think Jesus might say to us, we have a record of Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? That's a great question to have Jesus ask. But he doesn't just ask it to his disciples. Because as this as Bartimaeus is there crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me, over the top of the crowd. He gets brought to Jesus and Jesus says to this man, that he's never met before, what do you want me to do for you? That's a, how do you feel? You ever feel like if you went through life and that was kind of your opening question that people might take advantage of you? You'd never get to do anything for yourself. Um, You'd always be busy running around for other people. You wouldn't be able to help everybody that you just offered to help. But Jesus isn't concerned about himself. What do you want me to do for you? Whether it's his closest friends or somebody that he's meeting for the first time. Great question, particularly when it comes from Jesus' lips. Now, that's Jesus' question. He's consistent. But look at the answers that he gets to that question. Remember, as we start with James and John, this is right after Jesus predicts that he's going to die. Right? And, and of course, when somebody tells you that they're going to die, The first thing that you ask is, hey, can we sit on your left and your right hand when you get to glory? Um, Or you could be like Peter and say, no, that's not true. That's not going to happen. Okay, you've got a couple of of choices there. They're both wrong. They're both bad choices. But, But notice where James and John have their focus. Jesus, you're going to die? Well, we'll just, you're, maybe they just, maybe they didn't even hear it. Maybe Jesus said it and warned them and talked, they didn't even hear it because it was inconceivable to them. But they just said, I don't know what he's talking about. He surely, he can't mean that he's going to have a physical death. 
And so they just jump right to the end that they're expecting. And they say, hey, when you come to glory, can we sit on your right and on your left? And if we keep reading through Mark's gospel, we find that when Jesus sits in his glory with one at his right and another at his left, it will first be on a cross and then on a throne. Not at all what the brothers are expecting. Certainly not at all what they're asking. In contrast, Bartimaeus doesn't try to warn Jesus not to go to Jerusalem, as Peter did. He doesn't look for power or position, as James and John did. He simply brings Jesus his greatest need and trusts Jesus to do what is best for him. Rabbi, I want to see. The blind man couldn't see, but he understood what those with vision didn't. He understood what Jesus could do. He'd heard the stories. He'd done some sort of research. He knew who it was walking through Jericho. Mark, at the beginning of this passage, says, Jesus came to Jericho, and as he was leaving the city... It's like, what happened in Jericho? Where did it go? Just a little blip as you ran by. That's a decent-sized city. But Mark just enters, leaves, and there's Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus knew it was Jesus who was coming. He understood what Jesus could do, and he made getting to Jesus and following him a priority. And that is faith. The disciples... The rich young ruler, James, John, they could all see. They had everything going for them. They had wealth. They had law keeping. They had three years, not just following Jesus, but three years of of premium access. (laughs) The, The 12, James and John in particular, you know when you sign up for something on the internet, and it's like, Yep, that's the basic level. Okay, and for that, maybe it's watching videos, you get this series, you know, this collection of free videos that comes from the 1960s and nobody else wants to watch, but it's free and so you'll watch it, right? That was the crowds in a sense. Well, then there's like the pay $5 extra per month um, and you'll get some premium channels. Okay, And that was the 12 in general. They got that kind of access to Jesus. But James, John, and Peter, isn't that interesting that they're the three in in this section? James, John, and Peter, they had the super premium, you know, uh, where you pay, you sign up, not just $5 extra, you're paying like $25 a month extra. And uh, I know some coaching networks I see like this. Like you get uh, one-on-one coaching calls. You know, some big wig somewhere calls you in, is a big wig pastor, and he'll call in and he'll like be on the phone with you. It's probably a recording that only you get, but they, they say it'll be a conversation. Uh, you get information that's only revealed to you. You get resources that's only revealed to you. And you've got to pay that extra $25, $50 a month to get that kind of access to the, this, this person that has all the knowledge that you need. And so that's who James, John, and Peter were. They were the ones closest 
to Jesus. The ones with the most access. They were there on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw Moses and Elijah having a conversation with Jesus. They had everything going for them. But their advantages, their intimacy with Jesus seems to have only worsened their vision, their confidence or faith was in their knowledge. Their confidence or their faith seems to have been in their access, in their, their, their connection, to Je- not connection, in their proximity to Jesus. As though, hey, we're that inner circle. We don't hear what he says, but look at us. We're right here next to him. <laughs> and, and James and John will be on his right and left. I don't know where Peter goes. We don't really care where Peter goes. Um, he'll be floating around somewhere. He always is. You'll hear him. Um, And they missed seeing what the blind man saw. And so Mark closes this section of Jesus' ministry with a powerful lesson on faith. Not from the apostles. Not from the people that will become the the mission force of the church in the years to come, but a powerful lesson on faith from a blind beggar that Jesus meets for the first time. And Jesus really spends maybe five minutes interacting with him. And uh, that's it. But let me circle back around to where we started. Because Jesus didn't heal Bartimaeus because he was Bible-believing. There was no quiz as to how well Bartimaeus knew the Old Testament law. Unlike the rich young ruler, who said he kept it perfectly. Nor was Bartimaeus healed or accepted by Jesus because he was born again, because he'd been a disciple of of John, because he'd repented, when none of that is is told. And Jesus certainly didn't hear Bartimaeus the beggar because he tithed his pennies. He healed Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus placed his faith in Jesus. Not just faith in an academic sense. Because I think sometimes our faith is, right? We talk about who is Jesus. That's one of our questions for who is this man? for this sermon series. And we can answer that. But what I think Jesus is looking for in us is the attitude that Bartimaeus has. A desperation to say, I don't want to just know who Jesus is. I want to be with Jesus. My life depends on it. And so can you picture the desperation that Bartimaeus had? to get to Jesus. He's on the edge of the crowd. That's just his natural position, the side of the road as the crowd comes by. And he starts yelling out, and maybe others around him were yelling out, I don't know, but but Bartimaeus starts yelling out in the crowd in, in, in the most polite of terms. Say, dear Bartimaeus, could you please lower your volume? Or it's, I mean, that's how they do it when you go to a sporting event, right? Somebody's standing up, you know, or making too much noise. They very politely ask you to lower the volume. And, and so 
They, they're yelling at Bartimaeus. They're telling him to, to pipe down, telling him to shut up, telling him not to disturb, that they can't hear what Jesus is saying. They're telling him not to interrupt because he doesn't matter and he's unimportant. And Bartimaeus he is so desperate and so determined that when they tell him to be quiet, like that annoying person standing in front of you at the sports game, they put the hat on you know, after you ask him to sit down, just to make it more difficult. And so Bartimaeus just makes more noise and yells more loudly. And Jesus hears him. Because this is Bartimaeus' one and only chance. And he makes the most of it. And I don't know what's going to happen with coronavirus. I don't know what's going to happen with any other disease. I don't know what's going to happen with any natural disasters. And I don't know why some people recover with minimal symptoms. I don't know why some people die and how those decisions are made. But I think Mark gives us one last little Easter egg as we finish this story. Because Mark says that Jesus, Mark quotes Jesus. He says, your faith has healed you. Faith has healed you. And Bartimaeus is able to see. But that word for healed can also mean saved. Your faith has saved you. And, and we go, we're, from, we're, we're, we're good Bible-believing Church of Christ people. We know that you can't be saved unless you've been repented and been baptized and confessed Him as your Lord and Savior. And so we go, Jesus, what do you mean that Bartimaeus is saved? And here's what I think happens. Is that when Jesus says your faith has healed you, your faith has saved you, he does so because the rich young ruler came seeking eternal life. But he left dejected because he wasn't willing to follow Jesus. And Bartimaeus came seeking healing and he received that healing. But on top of that, he continued to follow Jesus. And it wasn't just that the healing and the restoring of of his physical eyes saved him. But his desperation to connect with Jesus, his faith that Jesus could do it, his commitment to follow Jesus from that point forward, not only healed him, but saved him. By following Jesus and through faith, he gained his salvation. And I can't promise that faith guarantees physical healing. I think many people look at this saying of Jesus and others like it and say, your faith has healed you. And and you've heard things and people will say, well, you're not healthy. You're not getting better because you don't have enough faith. You don't have children because you don't have enough faith. You don't have this or that because you don't have enough faith. And I don't think that's the point of Jesus. Jesus is here speaking to one specific person. And he says to this one specific person in this circumstance, he says, your faith has healed slash saved you because you cried out to me, because you wouldn't take no for an answer, because you persisted and then you followed me, because your life changed, not just because I changed it, because you made a change. You committed to following me. And so the question that we have to ask, is how badly do we want Jesus? 
Because I don't know that faith always leads to healing, although I do believe in the power of prayer and the power of God to answer prayer and the power of God to heal, but I believe equally as strongly in the power of God to save. And the question is, how badly do we want Jesus? Because there are a lot of people in this chapter, whether it be the rich young ruler, the children, the disciples stopping the children, uh, James and John. You can read the chapter, I hope you will, sometime this week. You can read the chapter, and there are a lot of different people, a lot of characters in this cast. And the question that it poses for us is not who is Jesus, but who are you? Who are you in this cast of characters? Are you somebody that's standing between children and Jesus? Between those seeking Jesus and Him? Are you somehow a gatekeeper for Jesus? Are you seeking power and prestige out of Jesus as James and John did? Are you seeking all your problems to be taken away? What are you seeking from Jesus? Or are you just committed to following wherever that goes? Even if that road goes to Jerusalem. And even if you know there's a cross on the other side of Jerusalem. Who is Jesus? That question's been answered in Mark's gospel. But here at the end of Jesus' ministry, I think Mark asks us a question. Who are you? How badly do you want Jesus? How desperately do you want to follow him? And ultimately, have you got faith, because by your faith, you're saved. And so I don't know your walk with Jesus, but I want to encourage you that if we can help you, if we can assist you, if we can point you in a direction, if we can point you closer to Jesus, if you just need to know more, to learn more, Bartimaeus had done his research. He knew that Jesus was capable of healing him. He was in the right place at the right time and, and maybe he'd put himself in the right place at the right time. He had a plan. And so I encourage you to do your research, to get around the right people, to, to ask the right questions, to get to know Jesus. But when you know Jesus, when you recognize who he is, be desperate about getting close to him because it's that faith that saves us. If we can assist you in any way today, I encourage you to come and we'll pray with you, we'll talk with you, do whatever we need to do uh, as we stand and sing together. Just come to the front.